0: Is he good? All the time. All the time. He is good. Yes, he is. Mm, thank y'all. So, I warned the elders when we were praying before. I said, you know, I haven't preached in three weeks. I'll try to keep it. in." So I wanted to show you some pictures as we get started. I love sunrises and sunsets. And if there's a sunrise or a sunset and I'm around it, I'll probably take a picture of it. And so I I brought a few pictures of those and I wanted to show them to you. So the first one, this is just beautiful, isn't it? I mean, Lisa and I were at a training conference in Portugal. So that's in Faro, Portugal. We have seen some beautiful things together in our 37 years. The next one, this sunset, uh, Chris, I I, I stopped my four-wheel drive vehicle in the mountains of El Salvador. Yep. (laughs) And I took that as we were leaving Las Tablas, which is a place that you'll never probably go to and you'll never know them, but they know who I am and I know who they are. And it's, it's the, the two men that were the first men I ever led to Christ in El Salvador live in that village. And uh, you can't get there easily. You can get there with a four-wheel drive vehicle, or you can get there with a two-and-a-half-hour walk, one or the other way. Two-and-a-half-hour walk is is over a suspension bridge on an, and then up a mountain and over it and over it and back. And I love that place. And um, the locals, Miss Jackie call it El Ultima de la Tierra the end of the earth. And uh, I want you to know I've not only been to the end of the earth, but we built a church there. And uh, and that's kind of great commission stuff, right? So the next one was the last spring conference. Go to that next one. That was the last spring conference that Lisa and I did while we were in our time of service in Germany, and that's in Malta. And I think if you look real closely and squint, you can see Florida. <laughs> the next one is a couple of years ago. I mean, that looks like the cover of a magazine, doesn't it? I took it with my iPhone like I did all of these. But uh, that's in Puerto Rico, in Acuadillo, on the Western coast. And that was just a great day where Lisa and I went out there to the beach and we were there all day and waited for the sun to set. And I mean, we rented a jet ski that day and, and saw flying fish came up while we were running our jet ski. And I was like, did you see that? And so we ran them again and they went up again. And then one of them hit me on the side of the leg. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then we saw that. Pretty great day. Now, this one right here. This is the last one I'm going to show you. We were with some friends who had taken us on a trip. And we were heading back to the city where we would fly home the next day. And we drove down as close as we could get to the place that I wanted to get our final picture. At a harbor. And so we parked... And I knew we were, we were running low on time. And so we were walking, and then we're walking fast, and then we're literally running. Come on, come on, come on. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I don't want to miss this. And we got right here to this spot, and we took a selfie, which I didn't include in this. But we took a selfie of us, and then I took that picture with that fishing boat off in the distance. Oh, did I say we were in Israel? We were in Israel. And this is on the south side of Tel Aviv. This is in old Joppa. So best I can tell, this is where Jonah ran from God, went down to the harbor, found a fishing boat. And I'm guessing it was about evening when he did because he went to sleep in the fishing boat. He went to sleep in that boat that was taking him where he wanted to go to Tarshish, which is probably Spain, which is completely in the opposite direction. Of where God had sent him. And so that would have been what it looked like. One of the things I appreciate about this story of Jonah. Is it's full honesty. We see Jonah warts and all. Jonah is portrayed as a real character. With great victories and abilities. And epic character flaws and failures. And we may not like what we see. But I think we have hope as we realize that God can use us too. We know that Jonah, last time we looked at this a few weeks ago, that Jonah had most likely been a popular preacher at home. And then God calls him to go to Nineveh, a godless city, and preach repentance. And Jonah runs. He gets in a boat down in the bottom. And goes to sleep, my mind thinking it through it, hoping for a better day tomorrow. And everything changes, right? Because listen, the Lord of today and tomorrow had other plans. And so chapter 1 ends with this understanding that resistance is futile. And so in the midst of that God-sent storm, Jonah is cast into the Mediterranean, and then the seas calm, and he's swallowed by a great fish that God had prepared. I think a one-off fish, but it doesn't matter. God had prepared. And chapter 1, ends, Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And so I kind of wonder many times what happened. In those three days and three nights, because they, as they say, there are no atheists in foxholes. And I guess maybe this is the quickest way to get a preacher to stop running is to swallow him with a fish. (laughs) So look with me at chapter 2, and let's read those 10 verses. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from inside Sheol, that means a grave, and you heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me, and all your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward the holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols... Abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground, dry land. Pastor, do you believe that Jonah was really swallowed by a fish? Well, let's see. I believe that the world was created in six literal days by God's command out of nothing. I believe the world was covered in a worldwide flood that was only survived by Noah and his family. I believe that God parted the Red Sea, that God stacked up the Jordan, that God dropped the walls of Jericho. I believe that David killed a giant with a slingshot. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin, that he made the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and raise the dead. I believe that Jesus died innocent was dead on Friday afternoon, was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's borrowed tomb, and on Sunday morning, Jesus rose bodily, alive from the dead, that he ascended 40 days later to heaven, is at the right hand of the Father, and that he will come again in the flesh just as he left. Furthermore, (laughs) yeah, Jesus said that Jonah Being in the fish was like him being in the tomb. And he said that Jonah was a sign to Nineveh just as his resurrection would be a sign to the world. So Jesus rose from the dead. And yes, I believe that Jonah was inside the fish for three days. Do you know James Bartley famously survived in a sperm whale for 36 hours in 1891. He was swallowed while on a whaling vessel and they found him 36 hours later inside one that they had taken and cut and open and he was inside it alive. And there was a story I just saw a few days ago that happened last year a guy named Michael Packard He survived in the mouth up on the east coast of the United States. He survived. He was was diving for lobster. And he was swallowed by a humpback whale. Actually, the humpback took him into his mouth. They say there's about 10 feet of space inside a humpback whale's mouth. And he said that all of a sudden he felt that fish moving up. And it spit him out. Jonah survived in a fish for three days. And I believe because the Bible says so. I believe because Jesus believed it. And I believe because God prepared the fish to do what he wanted the fish to do. Which regardless of Michael Platt or James Barton, doesn't really matter. God was doing something with Jonah. And God's provision is always enough to do what God is doing. Amen. Goes right there. So our question then for today is how do we go from running from God to following God and what happens along the way? I'm going to give you five words. Don't let that scare you. First word is the word submission. Write it down. Submission. You understand what that means? It means that we have to die to self. Verse 2. I cried for help deep inside shale. I'm in the grave, is what he's saying. And I cried for help. Brokenness is where it begins, somebody. Psalm fifty-one seventeen says that what God requires is a broken and contrite or humble heart. That's what God wants. Running from God made it all about Jonah. Submission makes it all about God. So write this down. The only way back to God and into his plans is by denying self. When when God reveals himself, pride sometimes says, maybe not for you, just for me. Pride sometimes says, well, that's fine, Lord, but I wanted to Fill in the blank, right? God's first revelation to us and here to Jonah is that he is sovereign. You ain't the boss of me was something I was famous for saying when I was a little boy. And I had aunts and uncles that would pull over and explain to me that that wasn't correct. Correct. God reveals that He is sovereign God and He is Savior and that we are sinners without righteousness, nothing that can make us acceptable. And so God's revelation always requires self-denial. And so as followers of Christ, as born-again believers, the same thing is true. God reveals Himself to Jonah. He revealed His holiness. He revealed the wickedness of Nineveh. decidedly, that revelation revealed something else that our preacher knows. That is that when God reveals his holiness and his wickedness, he is offering repentance and forgiveness. See, that was part of the problem with Jonah. We'll look at that more in the next message. But part of the problem with Jonah was he knew if God was offering, if God was making a statement about our wickedness, he was offering forgiveness, and he didn't want that for Nineveh. And so Jonah allowed his self to rise. He didn't love Nineveh. Maybe he feared Nineveh. But now here he is, under God's direction. He is in the Mediterranean Sea, in the belly of a fish. And as far as he knew at this point, he was as good as dead. I don't know if you've been there. I mean, you haven't been in the belly of a fish. But you may have been in that situation where you thought, well, this is the end of that. We must come, write it down, to the end of ourselves. However we get there, we have to get there. We must get there. We must get to a place where we realize that he is our only hope, our only way, our only truth, our only life. Luke records when the disciples first realized really who Jesus was. It's in Luke 9.20, and we we know the Matthew passage, but sometimes we don't see the the context in the Luke passage, and I want you to see it. In Luke 9.20, Jesus said, Who do you say I am? And Peter says, God's Messiah. Now, Matthew's account of this says that that revelation came straight from God, but what were they to do with that revelation? And so it's there in Luke 9, 23, right after that interaction, Jesus says, if, anyone, if I'm God's Messiah, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Those things go together. Knowing who Jesus is and laying everything down and following him go hand in hand. Jonah had to deny himself as well. And Jonah knew that he wasn't in charge. And he knew that he couldn't control anything. Verse 2 says, I called out to the Lord in my distress. He made an impassioned petition to the Lord from the depths of the grave. And he called out. And so we like Jonah, have to die to self in submission to God's right to rule. Say right to rule. His right to rule in our lives. And so then there must be genuine, write down number two, confession of sin. See, now confession is not revealing something to God that he doesn't know. Confession of sin is agreeing that it's wrong. One of the most beautiful truths in Scripture about God is in Exodus 34. Verse 6 and 7, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but He will not leave the guilty unpunished. You have to know the fullness of that. God is a forgiving God, but there are consequences if we will not take that forgiveness. We also know that God told Israel in Second Chronicles 7.14 that my people who bear my name must humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. And then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. John taught us in First John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So Jonah knew God's word. Jonah knew God's character. He had preached God's word. Jonah had memorized God's word because here he is in the belly of the fish without his Bible in hand. And he is praying with alliteration to some of David's psalms. And so from his heart, Quoting God's word, Jonah perhaps is thinking of Psalm 51 or Psalm 77 or Psalm 130 or Psalm 143. When he says in verse 7, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you. When he says in verse 9, so I will sacrifice. Those are all acts of confession. And by the way, just, just so you know, kind of let you in on something. You might think, well, confession is easy for a preacher. No, it's not. Perhaps it's even harder because we know better. And he knows. That was a quick amen. (laughs) He knows what he should have been doing. And it's hard to admit that he wasn't. Usually what we that know better will do is make excuses. So write this down. Confession and submission are dying to self and desiring to live through Christ. It's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've crucified myself. I'm alive to Christ. Knowing that God is our only hope. Submission and confession day because of, write it down number three, a great realization. Here's the great realization. Write this down. Jonah realized that a relationship with God was better than anything else he had in life. When you read, and I'd encourage you later today and throughout this week to go back through and read chapter two. When you read chapter 2, you might think that perhaps this is an editorial prayer that was after the fact, but this is not a prayer after the fact. Verse 1 says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. When you are in the Mediterranean Sea, in the belly of a fish, you pretty much figure your life is over, right? And so now Jonah wasn't so much worried about his physical life, that was a done deal. He is now worried about his relationship with God. His eternal life is coming. Verse 3 says, You, he's talking to God, you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas. And the current overcame me. All your billows swept over me. He knew who was in charge. He knew who was working. What did Jonah realize? He realized what he was worried about. Verse 4, I've been banished from your sight. That's a bigger deal than being in the depths of the sea. He knows he's about to die, and he's like, I don't want to be gone from your sight. So write this down. Jonah understood that being in God's presence was the only place to be. This same preacher who had worked so hard to run knew that he needed to come back home. Everything he wanted and needed was in God's will. And I thought of Luke 15, that young man that wanted so badly to run that he asked for his inheritance before his dad was even dead. I just can't imagine how that conversation went down. But the love of that father went, all right, here you go. And then he ran far, far away. And he wasted everything until he was penniless and homeless in a pig pen. Wanting nothing more than to go back home to his father's house and good graces. I'll just be a servant there is what he said. Jonah came to the realization that in God's grace was where he had always longed to be. He realized that before the belly of the fish became his final resting place, write it down, he needed to be at rest with God. And there was nothing more important than that. We don't know what tomorrow has. You might be at the mouth of a grave today. And you need to know today that you're at peace with God. I wonder today perhaps what you're clinging to when you should be hanging on to Jesus. Verse 8 says, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. NIV says they forfeit the grace. Yes, when, we, when we hold on to our ways and our places and our fears, we forfeit the goodness and the grace of God's plan and God's way. And the reward of faithfulness is victory. We forfeit that. We just lay that aside. and God was like, you don't know what I had for you. And so through submission and confession and realization, right down number four, he comes to a place of ordination and consecration. Now, listen, we got to get this the way it's playing out. Jonah has no idea what's going to happen. Matter of fact, I would think he probably thinks he knows what's going to happen. This is it. For all he knows, his life is moments away from ending. And he is determined that for whatever time he has left, write it down, he is committed to God. And here's what I love. He doesn't attempt to make deals with God. Oh, you're probably not guilty of that. You know somebody, though, that is. He doesn't say, Lord, get me out of here and I'll go to Nineveh. He doesn't say that, does he? I promise, Lord, just get me out of here and I will do it. Just get me out of here. Do you know somebody who's ever tried to make deals with God? You didn't do that. But you know somebody, you know somebody. Somebody over there said, I know somebody. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever tried to make a deal with God. Did you just take a breath? Oh, you've tried to make a deal with God. Everybody here that just took a breath, you've tried to make a deal with God. Let me tell you something, God isn't looking to make deals with us over trivial things. He's not. He's not. The fact is some of you have made deals with God and then you didn't keep your side of the deal. Let's be honest. God didn't do what you wanted. Or maybe he did and then you forgot about your deal. You lost the urgency once everything had gone right. Let me tell you something. Write this down. God is really only interested in one deal with us. Are you ready? Here it is. Give him all you are and all you have and he will give you all that he is and all that he has. That's the only deal he's looking to make. Make him Lord and he will make you his child. That's the deal he's looking for. And by the way, we get the best end of that deal. No bargaining. Jonah simply turns back to God for whatever the results are going to be. Verse 4, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look toward your holy temple. Jonah understood that he lost God's favor and God's face because he turned away. And even if God's favor and God's face never returned to him, Jonah is reordering his life and consecrating himself to the Lord. Folks, this is our only option. We have to come to a place where we stop trying to make deals with God. Maybe you're here today because this was a deal you made with God. God, I'll start going back to church. Let's just get this thing straightened out. Lord, if you'll give me a raise, I'll start giving. Lord, if you'll this, then I'll serve. Lord, if you make me well, I'll obey you in the way you... Lord, Lord, give me this and I'll do that. Don't you see that when when we try to make deals, our eyes are on things and not on God. We have to stop making deals because deals aren't the motivation for obedience love is. So write this down. Fix your heart on the Lord. Not on stuff. Stuff doesn't matter. Fix your heart on the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, Search for the Lord your God, and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. If you're not finding God, you're probably looking for something besides God. To set our hearts in obedience, we have to set our minds on him. And, And if this is the end of it, or if life goes on, it doesn't matter, my heart's on God, not on this thing. Isaiah 40. I love Isaiah 40. 28 to 31 says, Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men may stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles, and they will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Fix your heart on him. So Jonah says in verse 9, I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We, We cannot even begin to imagine what three days in that fish would have been like. I think think about that because I'm a watch guy. He didn't have a watch. He couldn't see the sun. He had no idea what time or day it was. The stench in the stomach of that fish. The acids working on his body. They say about James Bartlett that when they took him out of of the belly of that fish, that he was white, bleached. Think about the claustrophobia. And it must have stretched on for endless hours, but his heart now was set on the Lord. And, 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 and the Lord was, was his salvation, not deliverance. The Lord was his salvation. The Lord was his hope. And so if his life was about to end, then he would see God face to face and he was ready now for that. And if the Lord would restore him to physical life, then he'd be fine with that too. You know, Jonah, as a follower and as a preacher, had then long ago promised faithfulness and obedience to follow God. And then in this moment, he runs. And there in the fish, he has a revival. heart is revived. And then we see, lastly this wonderful truth that when God forgives, it brings right down justification. I love that word. Forgiveness always brings justification. Now I know that's a New Testament word and, and it sort of to define it, it means to wipe the slate clean. It makes us clean before God as if we had never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. And I I wonder after the eternity of these three days in the fish. If like James Bartlett says, or or, or Michael Packard said, that I wonder if he began to feel that fish rising. Speeding up from the depths. Perhaps the stomach was rumbling. Rumbling. And contractions are starting. And then all at once, it says, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited him out onto dry land. Now, Michael Packard, when he came out of that humpback, it says it just threw him out in the water. Jonah's brought him over there to the shore and threw him out. God was still in charge. And Jonah is back in the land of the living. And then if you look at verse one of chapter three, we see As we've kind of talked about the God of the second chance. We see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's just as if none of this had taken place. You know, Adam and Eve sinned. We looked at that several weeks ago. And God offered a sacrifice. And God clothed them himself, restoring their relationship. We've seen Abraham and his failures, and he thought that his chance was gone to be the father of people. And then in Genesis 15, God takes him outside the tent and points up at the stars and says, if you can count them, then you'll understand what I'm about to do. Rahab was a harlot. She was among a pagan people, but her faith in God brought her into God's people, not just out of Jericho, but into God's people, and she became the great-grandmother of David. Peter denied, and yet a few weeks later, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Mary Magdalene was controlled by evil spirits, but she met Jesus, and she became a child of God, controlled and led by the Spirit of God. Paul was a persecutor of Christians, but became a preacher of the gospel. Listen, God is a God of the second chance. If you have never trusted him, I wonder if you'll turn to him today. Maybe you're watching us online. Can you turn to him today? Stop trying to make superficial deals with God and take the greatest deal ever offered. Whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're a child of God, but you're running. Will you turn your eyes back to Him today? Don't bargain with God because He's already given you more than you need, already promised you everything you need. So if we will confess our sin, He's faithful and righteous, just to forgive and cleanse. If you will call His name, humble yourself, pray, and turn from your wicked ways and seek His face, then He will hear, then He will forgive, then He will heal. Yes, I love sunsets. And one of the reasons I love sunsets is because as long as the Lord allows, a sunrise is coming. If I will just turn around to see it. Did you hear what I said? Can you imagine when the first sunset went down in the west and Adam saw it? And it must have just been breathtaking. And I can just sort of see him standing off into the west wondering, is that coming back? Maybe all night long. I wonder if I'm going to see that again. And then at some point, he began to notice some light, but it wasn't from over there. If you've gone through a sunset, the only way to see the sunrise is to turn around. Today will finish. And tomorrow can be a great day with God in his plan for his purpose. If you will come to yourself and come to Jesus Because listen, resistance is futile, but submission is sweet. Would you pray with me? In this holy moment, would you trust Jesus right now? Could you say, yes, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I ask you right now to forgive me of my sin. And come into my life. I believe you died for me, and I believe you provided for me, and I receive it by faith. If you're a child of God, and you found yourself where you shouldn't be, can you just right here say, Lord, you are right? And regardless of what happens, I'm following you.